better to, yeah, junior hires and high schoolers or junior hires or whatever. You may be dismissed. Jacob's gotcha. All right, sweet. So last week we looked at the first eight verses of First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4. And uh, Paul was urging them, exhorting them to live a life that's pleasing to God. Like that they would care about pleasing God more than anything else. That they would, that, that would be a value to them. That they would walk in purity. They would live in purity. That their actions would back up what they say they believe. Right? And so uh, it, it, he's, he's asking them, remember like, this was a culture, they lived in a culture that was like very... Um, very sexually, like, crazy, you know? And so them at being asked to, like, contain themselves and control themselves and, and to, uh, you know, use their vessel in a, a wise way and in a godly, God-honoring way was, like, a totally opposite of what they would ever have imagined thing. So it was a, it was a big shift. Uh, so, but he was calling them to that. God wants to see that change in our private lives. That's, like, that's it. You know, you've got to change from the inside out like he wants to change our desires and the way that we handle ourselves and the way that we uh you know live our lives uh so this next section kind of carries on with that but it's how it changes into our public lives and and so uh stand up and we'll read verses 9 through 12 together and then we'll pray all right but concerning brotherly love you have no need that i should write to you for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another, and indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you, that you walk properly towards those who are outside, that you may lack nothing." Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for uh, your word this morning. We pray that you would speak through it, that we'd be able to hear it, understand it, and um, Lord, that you'd help us to apply it to our lives. Change our hearts where they need to be changed, our minds where they need to be changed, and, and just help us to see um, how you want us to live, Lord, and, and to see anything in us that's not where it's supposed to be, and we would change it. So we thank you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys may be seated. Again, verse 9, concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Uh, this is a big theme, you know. Again, Paul bringing up all that, like, sexual stuff, it was very countercultural to the world they were living in. So it was really important for him to bring that up. He says, brotherly love, I'm going to mention it, but uh, it's all over the place, Right, like the the need to love one another is all over the place. You know, you guys know this, uh, and, and so that this is what we're called to be a part of. Right, to be looking out for one another in brotherly love. Uh, you guys know what the word is here for that kind of love, brotherly love. There's a city. Okay, well, it's uh, Philadelphia, right? The city of Philadelphia. I did this in Violet's class when I was subbing. I said it's the name of a city in Pennsylvania. And uh, it starts with a P, and they're like, um, Poway. No, yeah, that's not it. <laughs> they're, they're thinking about all these different things. But anyway, uh, but Philadelphia is brotherly love, right? And we see uh, Church of Philadelphia where? In the book of Revelation, right? Um, 
And it's an important theme, the idea of brotherly love. We kind of hit on it even a little bit at camp, like I mentioned, uh, the importance of being alone with God, but the importance of being in community, right? Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That You could do a whole message just literally on that verse. Um, it says, this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Uh, in the same chapter, starting in verse 6, when he's speaking of living these lives that are like sexually pure, he says, don't defraud your brother, right? Don't like, don't try to take from them, but in love, build one another up. This is a recurring theme all throughout, right? We're called to have this relationship with God that affects our relationship with one another, that there would be this brotherly love instilled in us that changes everything around us. And this is something that's a big deal for the world to see, um, some of you might be thinking, how do I, how do I get better at loving people? Because I don't really like them very much. You know, that might be your struggle. Uh, I, I, first thing I'd say is pray. But I also saw this quote by C.S. Lewis that I really liked. It said, "Do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you do, and you will presently come to love him." Well, that's kind of interesting, right? Act as if you do, and you'll presently come to love them. I've heard it said before, too. If you want to uh, learn how to love someone, start praying for them. As you start praying for them, your heart changes towards them. Because often we see people as antagonists in our life. Like, you're just here to cause me trouble. And what you don't see is that they're, in, they're hurting themselves. They're going through stuff. So when you start seeing them and you start praying for them, this is a really hard thing even for, like, kids to understand. Why do they act like that? Why do they treat us like you don't know what's going on? You don't understand what's going on in their life. And, and we all want everything to be so black and white. Good, bad. They're bad, I'm good. That's how it always goes. We don't want it the other way, right? That's, you don't even know what I've been through. You, all of a sudden, now we're all about context, right? Understanding, well, you don't understand. You don't know what I've gone through, what I'm, you know, enduring, you know? We often find we make some of the most harsh and horrible reactions uh, to things when we're under stress and it has nothing to do with the actual thing itself, right? You ever experienced this, especially you kids, you probably know, right? When you kind of like flip out about something, but it's not about the thing, you know? This is like why people get in huge fights over like socks that are left on the ground. Is it really about the socks? No, it's about like a lot more than that. But that's just like the thing that like sticks and the straw, you say the straw that breaks the camel's back, right? So love for one another opens up our eyes to look to each other and to actively find ways to love them. And as we find our ways to love them, we'll find ways to understand them. This is not saying that people don't need to change. They do. And you are one of them. So am I, right? But it's understanding and, and dwelling with one another, understanding and patience and endurance and uh, believing that God can change hearts and lives. So he's saying, you know, I don't need to even say it, but I'll say it. You know, love one another. Look out for each other. Like, be a blessing to one another. And, and here's the cool thing. In verse 10, it tells us, and indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you 
brethren, that you increase more and more. What is he saying? You guys are already doing it. This is something that you're already known for. That's awesome. This is great news. But don't stay static. You know? I, I just think of like the example of Christian life is, is like a car going uphill, and it's like a, a, a standard car, you know, clutch, which people are like, what's, a, what's that? What's a clutch? Just kidding. I'm bothered by the fact that there's no standard vehicles anymore. They're rare because I like a clutch, and it, I like to shift. I'll choose my own gears. Thank you very much. Um, but it's like being in gear without brakes, going up a hill, or like, you know, going up a hill. If you stay static, you're going downhill. If you just stay where you're at, it's just like a matter of you're just going to end up going downhill or you're going to burn out your clutch and then you'll end up going downhill, you know. It takes an active pursuit to go up. You've got to keep on going. It might be slow, might be, but you've got to keep on moving. So he says, this is a, a, a strong point for you guys, but I would encourage you to abound and increase more and more. That you take what you have and it would become even more so prevalent in your life. Brotherly love. And this isn't just like a mental ascent. This is meant to be practical. And that's the thing about brotherly love is we get a really practical application. Because we could say, I love God. I love, you know, whatever. I love the, the children over in another continent. What about brotherly love? What about those brothers and sisters that are around us? Well, that's, that's very practical, you know? That's why families are like, well, I can be a great witness to the world, but not to my family. Why? Because it's just too hard. They're there all the time. Where are they? Can you give me some space so I can look like a Christian? That's the point. It's like it's meant to be built in those around us in, in the midst of chaos, that God would do something in us that's so miraculous, the world would look at it and they'd see, man, there's something different about you, right? And so it's with that in mind, uh, it's a witness to the out, like, you know, it's with this witness to the outside world uh, in mind, we get into the, even the next section. A lot, because a, a lot of times actually, you know, yeah, this is, and, and, oh, I was gonna say, this is really important in finding like a community, and it's a big deal in church. So I get to talk to people when they come in, new people, you know. And I'll say, oh, it's so nice to meet you. And you know what they say more often than not after, like after church, they'll say, man, everybody was really welcoming. Everybody was really nice. They don't, you know, it's like, you think, oh, why do you come, you know, to a church? It's usually not the message or the worship or something like that, you know. It's about a community where they can feel like they're loved, that's a big deal, you know? So that's like a really big witnessing platform to be those that are loving and caring about more people than yourself, right? So he says, this is what you guys are supposed to look like. You're already doing it. You're walking in this brotherly love. Continue to grow in it. Abound, grow, become more and more like this. Verse 11, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Oh, kind of like this verse, huh? Mind your own business, right? If you're ever looking for that in the Bible, this is it. This is where it's at in the Bible. You, you start quoting to people, you know. Uh, I got a verse for you uh, the Lord gave to me. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11, see ya, you know. But it's, it's in the context of how there ought to live. And, and it's, this is a really interesting section. Um, we'll get into it in depth. That you also aspire to lead a quiet life. Uh, the wording there is actually means like aspire to not aspire. You're like, that doesn't make any sense. But the idea is it's not about you. It's not just about you. It's not just about you being big. It's like you living a humble, real, quiet, quality life. Like in light of the Lord, empowered by his spirit and being used to that. So aspire to live or lead a quiet life. Um, and then it says this, to mind your own business. Yeah, we all need to hear that sometimes, right? And, and, and because, like, this has become one of the biggest things we see in the world, right? Is gossip. Like, this, this sells like crazy. Like, it is the thing, you know? Like, there's, like, um, TV stations dedicated, basically, to gossip, you know? Let's find out what happened now. Let's find out, you know... Somebody had a bad hair day. Oh, can you believe they look like that when they went to pick up their kids? You're like, I can't believe they would do that. You're like, well, you know, do you do that too, right? You know, that's okay if people are, can look normal sometimes. But we like gossip. We love getting in other people's business. We hate when other people in our business. That's none of your business. Stay out of it, you know? But I have some thoughts about your life. Okay, wait, you know? And so Paul's saying like, lead this quiet life that is minding your own business. You, you know what? You have enough to worry about that you don't need to be worrying about everybody else's life. And what's really interesting is you always think it's so clear for everybody else. It's not to say that you can't give wisdom and there's not times you should confront certain things in, in, in reverence. And if you can't do it in reverence, don't do it at all. If you can't be like, like humble and you can't come to people like with grace, knowing they're going through something, you should not be the one to talk to them, I don't think. If you like feel like you're getting a, like a uh, you know, pep in your step and you're getting excited about being able to tell someone where they're in air, you're not the right person. Like actually, you should probably look at yourself because that's like, that's a, there's a major issue there going on, right? But we're called to live this quiet life and to mind our own business, that, that we would be able to just do the simple things that are put before us. This is such a struggle, you know, because we just want to get our hands into every other thing because it always sounds better than doing the thing that you should be doing, right? Any procrastinators in the room? You want to raise your hand real quick? Okay. I know it took you a while to raise it. You know, if I say five, four, three, two, one, raise your hand. Now you raise them. Okay, I get it. I'm there. Uh, something about procrastinators, they become Superman. The last, like, or woman, you know, the last 30 seconds, you know, because you have to do it when your back's up against the wall, right? And, and usually that's when house projects happen, you know, when you're, when you're supposed to be writing a paper or something. You know, I decided I'm going to paint this house right now because I should be writing a paper, you know? Or I've decided, you know what? I've never waxed that car. Today is the day. You know, get some rubbing compound. Let's, get, take, let's do this. You know what? Let's repaint the thing. I, you know, let's rebuild the engine real quick so I don't have to do the one thing that I'm really supposed to do today. 
And, and that's, it's, it's so simple to get caught up in that. And it's because we like the ideas of things more than the thing, right? So uh, when we're called to live these peaceable, quiet lives, it makes us really uncomfortable because it's actually really simple. And we want it to be complex and crazy. And, you know, it's like, Lord, I'd go anywhere for you. Well, well could you like live a simple, quiet life? No. <laughs> that sounds really, really hard. Sounds a lot easier to jump on a plane, you know, and go witness where my, it might lose my life. By the way, it's not easier to do that. You just think it is. Because we like ideas better than the real thing. This is something we have to be really wary of because it, it happens in Christianity too, you know? It's so easy for us to look at things and think that they're, you know, important, but they're really not. Which is, this is the thing to do. And he, so he says, aspire to lead this quiet life, humble life, mind your own business and work with your own hands as we commanded you to do. Um, lots going on here, okay? Um, the Greeks looked down on manual labor. They didn't see much value in it. They saw value in like, you know, having philosophies to chew on, you know, ivory tower type of stuff, you know, where they sit around and, you know, whatever, hang out at a coffee shop and smoke clothes, you know, or whatever. That's like, I guess, a 90s reference probably. But, uh, you know, we just sit around and you think about stuff and, and oh, let's consider this and let's consider that or whatever. They, they didn't have much value for manual labor. Um, that and uh, one of the major themes here of 1 Thessalonians is the, the return of Christ, parousia, the, uh, uh, what you call the rapture of the church. And so they were struggling with doing normal stuff because they thought he's coming back any minute, you know? But the Bible warns us about not working with our hands. Actually, the Living Bible gives us really good translation. Psalm 16, 27 through 29, it says, Idle hands are the devil's workshop. See, it wasn't just something your mom told you. It was actually in the Bible. You just had to find the translation. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. Idle lips are his mouthpiece. An evil man sows strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. Wickedness loves company and leads others into sin. Ugh. right? The idea of, of having idle hands, of not doing the things you know you're supposed to do. And it gets really tricky when, you're, when you tie it in. It's like, you know what? If it's true, if they believe that Jesus was literally gonna be coming back any minute, they thought, I'm not gonna waste my time doing normal things. I need to be telling everyone about Jesus, I got to, you know, go be a preacher. I got to go do this and that. But what had ended up happening was they were all starting to like, like live off of one person or two. So they were like becoming parasites to those in the church. And so Paul's like saying, don't do this. Work with your hands. Live a calm, quiet life in love with God, uh, with this brotherly love that the world can see. That is your witness, even if Jesus comes back tomorrow. So it really simplifies because you go, all right, if Jesus comes back, how ought we to live? You're supposed to live like working hard and loving people and minding your own business in the sense of not being into gossip and weirdness. You know, I, I, I had gotten kind of bitter uh, when I was younger towards the church prayer chains because it was like a gossip chain, you know? 
Because you hear, it's like, I don't hear much praying, but I do hear people getting really excited to hear about something crazy happening in someone else's life. We have an amazing prayer team here. When stuff comes in, it gets prayed for, and we see God move, you know? But sometimes, it's like, it can be known as that. where It's like, we like the ideas, and we like the this and that. We're missing out on the main thing. So you might think, oh, I don't want to waste any time doing ordinary tasks. I, I better preach because you never know. Jesus could be coming back tomorrow. And he absolutely could be. Today, we are closer than ever before, right? And if there's tomorrow, that will be closer too. In the meantime, it's really simple. Do what you've been called to do well. Fill with the Holy Spirit. Looking for opportunities to minister. The, the best opportunities I've ever had to, to minister to people was working normal jobs alongside them, working hard and having opportunities to speak every once in a while, whatever, however it worked out. See people come to Christ, see, you know, seeing people encouraged, but it, is, it happens in these daily influences. So we're not all called to be, you know, whatever, preachers, whatever, missionaries. You're called to be effective witnesses wherever you are, to look different than the world and to work really hard. Because there's something about that that is so attractive. There's people who preach at us all day long, right? And they preach for all kinds of different things, right? Where they like try to, uh, you know, look holier than thou about this thing or that thing. And it's interesting, like everyone knows how to solve the world's problems. They've got it all down, but their lives are a mess. Don't think people don't notice that. People notice that. So it's like, God, help me to get my own house in order. Help me to like live my own life in a way that's like full of life and, and, and truth and, and that it would be real. And then that would be attractive. And so then the message has a lot of emphasis to it. Because a lot of people, they're not going to be able to come in or, or hear the message or whatever, but they will examine and look at your life. And your life is, matters. The way you live matters, right? Maybe you guys remember uh, when I, gra I graduated high school in 2000, so it was Y2K, things were chaotic, right? The, the whole thing's gonna shut down, you know? The computers don't know what 2000 means. We're gonna go back to 1900 and everybody's gonna lose everything. So people are buying generators and they're buying all this whatever, food and stuff like that, tons of ammunition to kill people whose computers don't work, um, you know. <laughs> I understand, I, I, you know, whatever, I'm not, whatever. But I remember it. It was the year I was going to graduate. I'm thinking, man, I'm not even going to get to graduate because I'm not even going to be able to get my $250 out of my bank account uh, that I saved up for <laughs> all my birthdays. Um, but I remember it was, it was coming up, and, and so there was a real fever pitch, you know? And uh, people would have on their cars, in case of rapture, the car's yours, right? You guys see these? You know, and I'm not mocking that, but, but it was like this thing where a lot of people were living like that. And I know that was the case back in like this, 
late 60s and the early 70s, and there's so much turmoil going on in the Cold War as it continued into the 80s. And, you know, so there's, there's like been this constant awareness of like, it could all be gone tomorrow, so we better live like this or live like that. And so a lot of stuff didn't get done. So I have a, some friends of, a friend of mine who's uh, doing the same school thing I'm doing, and he says, he's in his 50s, and he says, um, I didn't go to, I wanted to go to school when I was younger, but I didn't because Jesus was supposed to come back that year. So somebody told me, don't worry about it. It's not worth doing right now. And he's like, I would have been done like 30 years ago. I wouldn't have me do this in my 50s. You know? And, and it's not to say, it's not to like be the one that mocks, because the Bible's very clear. Those who say, oh, it's not coming, it's not coming, that's when it's going to come. You know? He's going to come. That's when he's going to come. It's not in any way mocking that or saying it's not going to happen. I've, it's definitely like the Lord's coming back, right? But the, the, what, what got misaligned was not the hope that he's going to come back, was that that means that we should live differently than the Bible tells us to live, which is right here. Live peaceably, you know? Live quiet lives. Work hard with your hands. Do what you're supposed to do. We love big ideas, but we hate the pain of small disciplines, right? But big ideas are built on small disciplines. Big, like, you know, big life things. You want to see a big change, you know, in the world? You know, it doesn't just come together. I thought of an idea, and, you're, and it's not going to just work by motivation. Like, oh, today I feel motivated to do it. Disciplines. Spend time with the Lord. Put in good work ethic, even in down economies, work ethic is huge, right? I mean, there's people who want to hire right now and there's no one to work, right? And I always believed if you work hard and you're fe- if you will find a way to rise up the ranks, wherever you're at, anywhere you go, you find yourself rising up by being a, a, a man or a woman of integrity that works hard, that minds their own business, and that genuinely cares about other people, that's going to generally work out in your life, right? One way or another. But we get it confused. We think it's, no, it's about this other thing, this bigger thing that I can't quite get my, so it's really good news. It's a lot more simple than you thought, but it's also a lot harder. It's kind of like when husbands find out, okay, your job as a husband is to love your wife like Christ loved the church. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I'm going to love my wife like Christ loved the church. Honey, could you go um, take the trash out? Are you kidding me? I took it out three weeks ago. Like, what do you think? Can you not do this? You know, like, I would die for you. I won't take out the trash, though. You know? I would go all, I would do everything I could possibly. You know, it's like, we love the big things. Sounds so good. How does that break down to you right now? That's a, that's a big deal, right? Because otherwise, because we can actually like hide behind the big stuff. Because if it's, as long as it's obscure and kind of ambiguous, we're never really accountable to it. Like, oh, who really knows what that means, you know? What does it really look to live like Jesus? I guess it, I'm just going to try my best. I don't know. Who knows, you know? Well, what, what did it mean to live? But, and and what, does, what is God's will for our lives? It's very clear, actually. A lot clearer than we want it to be. You know? And I want to say, oh, God, what's your will for my life? He wants you to walk three steps and then turn. 
and then open the door. And inside, we're looking for treasure hunts, generally, you know? That's what we want. And, and by the way, that, that's part of it. Like, God will direct you in a very specific and beautiful way, and there's going to be stuff that is absolutely of God. It's not just naturalist thinking, just about myself, or, you know, I'll work it all out. It's not like a deistic view of God where he just sets all motion and now you just figure it out. He's insanely involved in it, but we could never get to that part without doing this part because that's like the main thing. You know, and it always kind of surprises me that that's, those are the people asking about God. This is stuff like, uh, you know, coaching on a baseball team for your kids. And then they just have a question, you know, playing in a softball league, getting to know some of the guys on other teams. And then they bring something up. Huh, it's interesting, you know. Well, how does that work out? Well, we were talking about this at family camp. Our team has had so many opportunities to learn, our men's softball team, how to turn the other cheek when guys are acting foolish, Right? And you go, it, it is not always easy, you know? There's times where you just want to light them up. You want to, like, let them know. And you, like, look down, and you're like, well, what's on my shirt? Oh, it's a Calvary Carlsbad on my shirt. And Mo has been calling me pastor the whole game. So, pastor's ball, you know, on a fly ball. You say Chris, man, you know, because it kind of puts me on the spot here, you know? But it makes a difference, right? Because the way you live your life, it matters. And it, and it, and it makes you stand out and you don't think it's doing anything. And, and here's the other part is, even as you're trying to honor God and trying to live for him and you're trying to do your best, you know you fail all the time, so mostly you feel like a failure. I'm not even doing that well. And then you find out you've been working hard. Everyone's noticing. What is it about you that's different? I don't know what it is, maybe, and, and then God puts his hand on you. Maybe there's like favor in a certain way or this way or whatever, or maybe not. Maybe you're getting heavily persecuted, but you're not giving up on what you're supposed to be doing in the midst of, you know, contrary, uh, you know, people who are contrary to it or against it. It's really important. You know, our lives matter. And I, I was trying to find this quote. I'd heard it years ago. But it was saying, like, if the world ended tomorrow, you know, what would you, you know, and you guard it, say you gardened every day and the world was to end tomorrow, what would you, what would you do tomorrow? And he was like, I'd garden. I think it was C.S. Lewis. I couldn't remember. But it was like basically saying, like, I would do the things I do because that I think they're good things. You know, I, I would provide, you know, this and that. And you go, well, maybe not garden. I don't know if the world's ending tomorrow. But the idea is continue to do if, you, if they matter then, they matter now. And working and taking care of yourself and your family and blessing those around you is a good thing, right? So working hands matter. Idle hands, big problem, right? That you may work, uh, walk properly, verse 12, towards those who are outside, that you may lack nothing, right? As you see this, this is for a reason. Here's your witness, how do I be a witness at work? Live a quiet life, mind your own business, and work hard. That doesn't sound exciting. It is exciting. And it'll save you a lot of trouble, by the way. And it's how you sleep well at night. 
And it's how you are an effective witness. So it's like the little things absolutely matter. So this is how we walk properly towards those who are outside that you may lack nothing. The other part is you'll be provided for, which is good too, right? You work, you eat, or you, you know, that's, that's important. So the inner man matters in our purity, right? That's the section before. The way we handle our bodies matters, right? That's, it's not for nothing, right? The Holy Spirit convicts us and he says, you know, and wants us to understand this is the way you're supposed to live, not like that. So it matters in purity and it matters in our outer lives, how we work and how we live. It matters, right? We work, so we eat, so we can eat, right? God blesses the work and we were made to work in one way or another, right? A lot of people start falling apart when they stop doing anything, you know? It's like they don't have anything they do. No hobbies, no work, no nothing. Hey, if, you, if you're retired, good for you. But don't just sit there. <laughs> Figure something out, you know? Like, it's, it's important, right? Uh, to keep everything going because you're meant, we're meant to be creators and we're in, in a sense of to subdue and be like God, like God's given us his nature and an image. Like we're not nature in the sense of we're not gods, but like he's made us in his image to be creative and to make things better where we go. Rule, subdue, you know, plow the land, make it better. I remember one time I was in between jobs and um, it was actually before I moved here from the packing house and I was moving here, uh, but I was living there. So I would only come out here like once or twice a week because it's a long drive from Redlands. Um, and so it was kind of like, I, I went back to my parents' house for a couple of weeks and I was just there and I was like, it's going to be so nice to not do anything like for a couple, not have to work like 50 hours a week for a couple weeks. I'm just going to kind of chill out, do my little thing. I'll play my guitar. I was so bored like a couple days into it. And it was kind of like, it was so not good. Like you think, oh, this is going to be so good. It was just, for me, it wasn't good. It was like, so I ended up getting out and doing stuff or whatever. Same thing, kids, give them freedom. Oh, you know, whatever. They start getting bored, you know? Like, kids need structure. They need to be doing things. Like, there's something built in us that when we're lazy, that we, like, are, are lacking things like self, you know, confidence, all these different things where it's like, you don't feel like you can do anything because you're not doing anything and you're kind of stuck in all this stuff. God has hardwired us to be workers, to do these things. And, and it's so that the world can see it, Right? It's our witness. Don't neglect the simple, obvious things for the obscure, extreme things, right? We want to do the obscure, big things for God. You know what? I've never lived like this, but I want to start like a harvest crusade. And I've never given the gospel message, but let's just, I'm going to start by renting a building. Whoa. Slow down, you know? I mean, I, I think I shared that. That was my experience. I wanted to move to Kosovo right when I got saved. I had just gotten fired for, like, assaulting an employee at my job. And I'm like, you know what? I decided I'm going to move to a Muslim country and tell them about Jesus. Let's do this, you know? You seem super unstable. Sounds like a good idea. And uh, luckily, I ran into this man who became my mentor who said, hey, how about, how about we do lunch? Do lunch? I got stuff to do. I'm booking, I'm, fly, I'm selling everything I own. I'm going to fly across the world. I'm going to go save these Muslim people, you know? 
How well do you know your Bible? I got one, you know. Um, but he says, hey, how about you just jump in? What do you think about, like, hanging out and coming to college group? I guess I could do that in the meantime, some small stuff, you know. What do you think about, like, uh, helping out with the youth group? I don't know. Seems like kind of weak, but sure, you know. How about you go on a, one of our short-term mission trips? Uh, I guess for those who can't commit to a lifetime uh, goal, leaving everything behind and, you know, whatever. Sure, I guess I could do that, show you guys how to do it, you know, I guess. No, not really. I wasn't that, I wasn't that uh, arrogant. But what I ended up finding was I found myself in the youth ministry so fast, and I was an intern, I, you know, whatever. Went on that mission trip, loved going on the mission trips, not a foreign missionary, I am not. The way I speak, as you could probably tell, is horrific for a translator. They're just like, um, don't know how to say that, you know? It's like, I, but, but I, what I found is that there with those high school kids, I had a really big pull, you know? And the band I was in, a lot of them really liked before. So I had like, they like literally cared about the music I was into. And so they were listening to me and they were bringing things. So as all of a sudden it was like, whoa, I guess I could hang out a little longer and do this like mundane little whatever job. Little I know that was like be the thing, but it was all in like the little stuff. You know what? Let's just get you solid. You don't have to do the big crazy stuff. Just come do this and, and, and be faithful to that and then see what God will do. Faithful with the little things. The big things are a bunch of little things built together. I love going to Legoland and seeing the stuff they build, you know, and seeing how many pieces it is. If somebody put this together, like it's crazy. Like the, you know, you guys know on the boat thing where you go through or Star Wars land there. And it's just crazy how many Legos are there. But there's just a bunch of little pieces all put together, you know. And if you're thinking about the big picture, even, even building a smaller Lego set, you know, you bring it in, it's like 300 pieces. You're like, oh, no, you know. I mean, I like Legos, but I'm kind of like, here goes the day, you know, when we get a big one. But all you got to do is you got to follow the directions and just start putting the pieces together. Before you know it, you're on bag two, bag three, bag four. And now all of a sudden you're like, whoa, this kind of looks like the thing I'm supposed to build. As soon as you start going rogue, making your own decisions or miscalculating. Ooh, imagine what, what one little thing anyway. But a lot of times you go, I, I think I got it figured out from here. You do not. If you're building Legos, you would never think you needed to do that right there. But it was important because it ties the whole thing together. So this is our witness, right? Don't neglect the simple obvious things that are clear in scripture that God's called us to do for the obscure, extreme, seemingly big things. Because God's just wanting us to be faithful. Have you been faithful with what I've given you? I didn't ask everyone to be that. I asked you to be faithful where you're at because that would be the most effective thing you could possibly do. God works through the mundane, through the daily. C.S. Lewis, another C.S. Lewis quote. You get two of them today. The future is something which everyone reaches at the rate of 60 minutes an hour. Whatever he does, whoever he is. Right? Yeah, that's the other problem is looking to the future. It's all the future, 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 future. What about now? 
What about the conversations today? What about the relationships here before you leave? Then what about taking care of your own home, your own family, your own relationship, and then working your own job? Quiet, peaceful. It's amazing. This works. Imagine that, God knew. <laughs> but let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your simple word like that is so hard to do because we are just, we struggle with being like faithful like that. Um, but God, help us to walk that out. Like even, you know, if we return tomorrow, Lord, that we would be those who live lives that are so honorable towards you and that we would, we would actively be speaking about you.